kiddos, and welcome to Dad Feelings, the podcast about fictional father figures, or it usually is. I should say, um, when we started doing this show, the idea was that we would alternate episodes where we talked about uh, fictional father figures, which is sort of the content that you've come to know and love uh, this podcast for, hopefully. Um, and we would alternate that with episodes where we would talk to actual dads. Um, and, and that hasn't really happened so far, except incidentally, um, when we've had people like Justin McElroy on to talk about characters like Pee Wee Herman. But today, um, I have with me a very funny person, uh, author and comedian Charlie Demers. And we are um, here especially because he recently published or co-authored a book called The Dad Dialogues with uh, George Bowering. And um, he's joining me here today, and I'm so happy to have you. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, though I am not a fictional dad, I will assure listeners that I am a phony. Oh, <laughs> so so it won't be it won't be too uh, it won't hopefully it's not too much of a disjuncture. <laughs> I don't know about that. It makes <laughs> no, you a phony. <laughs> no, I'm not a phony. I wish I were. I actually uh, I feel like I would uh, do less like spontaneous crying outbursts if I were slightly more removed from myself. Uh, no, I am painfully uh, painfully <laughs> real, and uh, and I promise to uh, keep my heart on my sleeve for the for the whole interview. Yeah, and I mean that's something that um that I took away from this book that I think also is uh, a hallmark of your previous book, um, The Horrors, which is uh there is this this thread of earnesty running through it that is really refreshing to me. Um something that I've really kind of tired of lately online, especially is like the just resorting to detached irony as like oh, sure. a baseline and it's like so nice to to have someone writing about really difficult stuff in a way that doesn't really that is still funny but doesn't shy away from that and doesn't try to retreat behind ironic humor well f- fatherhood is uh certainly it's certainly not the only um path to this but it is i think definitely one of the um possible um detoxifiers in terms of irony poisoning um <laughs> Because there, um, you really, you really can't maintain that kind of like that stance of invulnerable, world weary uh, hipness um, in a in in a kind of like if you are going to be someone's you know loving uh, father. There's just something about you know, particularly for, well for me so far the the experience of like raising someone through early childhood that just like. It does um, strip you of irony, which is uh, not not completely. And it's not to say that, you know, all sarcasm has gone out of our house. And mm-hmm. I mean, my daughter finds, you know, this sort of early proto sarcasm of, um, uh, you know, that, that she can engage she can engage in very funny. One of her favorite things to do, and she does this all the time, and I don't know if this is just like uh, – if she's just kind of like um, uh, just right out of the gate, just like fucking with the with the, the binary. But anytime I'm reading her a story and the story um, specifies that one of the characters is the mom and the other is the dad, she'll always go, no, that's the dad and that's the mom. <laughs> like – she thinks that's a really funny, like ongoing, um, and and like every single time, and uh, so she does. 
there is this like sort of kid version of irony, which is also really kind of awesome and fun to be around. But you definitely can't um, uh, you you definitely get into the the muck of earnest feeling pretty quickly um, as as somebody's dad because. You just what kind of way would that be to to go through the to go through the whole experience to like remove yourself from that with that like thick layer of, uh, you know, protective sarcasm or irony? Yeah, no, I can totally see how that would happen. And um, I'm curious about how that intersects with politics, because when you were on Woodland Secrets, um, God, over a year ago at this point, we talked a lot about the the role that comedy has in politics and activism and um and to me like the irony stuff is really prevalent right now at least in the ways that certain parts of the left talk online um Mm. and it can be really useful um and it can be um can be a way to get people talking about things i think but then also i wonder about like the fatalism of a lot of it um and i'm curious because you talk about this a little bit in the book but um that experience of like having a kid, like how does that, how how do you, how do you sort of parse that with, um, with your sort of leftist politics with, which like, you know, may have kind of a dire analysis of like a lot of, a lot of dynamics totally. in the world. Well, in, I mean, in some ways it's, it's a return to form, uh, because having, having a child is for whatever, you know, like, um, you know, um, in Mark Fisher's book, Capitalist Realism, he opens with a, a conversation about the film, um, uh, Children of Men and, mm-hmm. uh, talks about, you know, sterility as, you know, this particularly kind of potent, um, uh, metaphor for, uh, neoliberalism or the idea of like just a kind of an, an eternal capitalist world that doesn't have a future. Um, and, uh, that one thing that I have found about having a kid is that you are almost, you're, you're forced against your own better judgment, even sometimes to hope because the alternative is, is is too yeah. i guess it's just too depressing to entertain i mean i i have a child who like you know is of an age where when people start talking about like you know the real catastrophic global effects of climate change and certain like um you know feedback loops and and you know all the kind of like they're talking the years that they talk about are, are the years that will be the the prime of my daughter's life. Like, like it's not something that like may happen as she's like preparing to check out as an old woman. Like these are things that like, like when I, when she's my age, this will be just the kind of day to day reality. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, you, you do, I mean, I, I do think that, um, um, you know, any kind of connection you have across generations and, you know, being a parent is, isn't the only way that this kind of relationship gets forged. It just happens to be, you know, the most common way that it happens. Um, but if you have someone in your life who is a child or a baby who, who you, um, care about, um, you, you really do have to kind of 
tell yourself that there simply is no option, but that there's something on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have this, I have this conversation with, um, with friends, with, with other, with other parents, um, you know, people who are of the same kind of like, you know, slightly tragic left-wing disposition as I am. Cause there is that kind of like, blind, um, eschatological Marxism that just says like, yeah, things are inevitably going to get better. So, you know, Mm -hmm. everything's going to be okay. And it's been a very long time since I've been able to comfort myself with those kinds of certainties. I feel like, you know, if you look around today and don't take into consideration the possibility of, you know, more or less apocalypse, um, you know, I, th- I, I think you really kind of aren't paying attention. But which is not to say that it's going to be the worst case scenario, but I think you have to make I think you have to make room for that. And, you know, things keep things keep happening. I mean, the, you know, the night the night Donald Trump was elected president of the United States of America, like. Yeah, I do look at my little girl and think like, oh, holy Christ, like, is she going to be evaporated? Like, are we, is, is, is that the level of, you know, reasonable fear or, or, you know, reasonable concern that we're talking about? But at the same time, you know, you find yourself watching the way you talk around the kids in your life because you don't want to, you don't want to terrify them. You don't mm-hmm. want to, um... Uh, you know, you, you actually do kind of have to be there for them and, and, and show a certain amount of, um, show a certain amount of hope. And, um, you know, you're, it, it becomes just kind of an act of faith, um, to, to raise them. And, uh, you know, so I would say that by giving me something to be that much more terrified about in an immediate kind of visceral way, um, it's actually kind of forced me to find a certain amount of hope, um, just as a kind of pure survival tactic. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that it, it cuts both ways. It is both, it has both made me, you know, more terrified, um, as a person, but it also like, uh, it also, you know, to to become a parent is to enter into a certain hopeful relationship with the future, just by by its very nature. Um, and so it 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 does kind of keep you plugged into those sort of hopeful spaces. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me, and it makes me wonder too about the ways that the kind of dominant tragic leftist discourse um, is driven by a certain kind of person. Um, and this is maybe mm. maybe overgeneralizing, but to me it feels like it's driven primarily by men and mostly straight men and mostly white men and mostly young men who are in their 20s, some of whom are maybe... maybe... <laughs> the only thing of those that I'm not is young. Like the only... <laughs> The only thing I'm not is the good thing in that. No, um, no, but... no, but yeah, I mean, but 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 those are people who um, are are kind of maybe more atomized than they have been in kind of a long time because they aren't. Um, they well, they don't have the security of of work, and they don't have the kind of concomitant security of the sort of traditional heteronuclear family because you know partly because there is no work security. Um, 
And so I think it's very easy for that kind of person to feel sort of adrift in history or sort of permanently um, in the present or feel kind of like a nihilistic attitude towards the future and also towards the past because you look back and you see basically this chain of people who have screwed things up for you. Absolutely. And it's a tough thing. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a really tough thing, uh, in some ways. Uh, so in some ways I have had like kind of an interesting experience of fatherhood, both like, you know, as a father, but also as, as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because my own dad who, uh, just was, you know, was, was, you know, until I was 20 was a, a closeted, um, gay man, but who had come out in the seventies before, um, um, meeting my mother and falling in love and uh, with, with a woman and, and, um, having my brother and I, and, uh, you know, you know, it was, there was, he, he, he wasn't, you know, out to us as, as a, as a gay man, but he also just never inhabited any of the, you know, what I came to associate as like the kind of, a you know, oppressive or boring or mm-hmm. suffocating ideas of what like masculine, um, fatherhood, um, um, were like, um, which is not even to say that my dad is particularly like, um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't perform, um, femininity. He, he's, but he, he was also just like, like, you know, just for something as simple as like, he, he not only knew nothing about sports was, but was, but didn't see that as like, that wasn't something that he was even, you know, moderately embarrassed about. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I never kind of knew fatherhood as the kind of, um, or I never saw it anyway as the kind of like stultifying, um, you know, kind of uh, gender straitjacket that I think it has been for a lot of people. And so I can, I can sometimes be a little, um, fancy free in terms of talking about it. Like there's obviously like a super shitty, uh, well, I mean, I mean, it's so obvious to say that, that it almost, but like, like we, patriarchy was not a good thing. (laughs) Um, And like, I feel like I can, you know, say that without alienating too many. (laughs) God, I would hope so. (laughs) Patriarchy is, is, is a shitty thing, but there are elements of those traditional patriarchal roles or experiences that did bring people into, um, you know, in some cases into a certain kind of um, feeling a role for themselves in the world or feeling a kind of role for themselves in um, in their family. And, you know, one of the things about that's kind of shitty about uh, our, you know, contemporary capitalism is that even though it's like, like removed some of the things that were, um, you know, imprisoning about those traditional kind of, um, family roles, it hasn't really kind of rushed to replace mm-hmm. the sense of kind of social cohesion. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm pretty much just kind of lifting straight from, um, you know, Angela Nagel's writing, but like it, 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 it hasn't, um, uh, like I, I felt all of the all of the kind of like existential angst about like not being a grown up before I had a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, people have this thing of like, you know, I don't know how to fix anything and I don't know how to like I don't really have any real kind of um adult skills and and you know, 
I, I ceased to have any of those kinds of anxieties after having a child. And what's hilarious to me is I'm, I have no new skills. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't actually find what, but, but I came to a place of feeling like an adult through just the kind of, um, the, the, the work and sacrifices entailed by caring for my child. And, you know, it's what would be, um, so it's, it's an interesting thing for me as a, as a, as a leftist and then someone who is very critical of these like, um, old family kind of norms, but also someone who has, by experiencing them come, you know, experience a certain amount of, um, comfort with myself or a certain amount of joy and, and figuring out a way to identify, you know, what are the ways that we can, that we can hold on to what was great about the way people used to become adults, um, at, while not being sort of bound by the things that, um, things that really sucked a lot about them. I, I struggle with how to talk about fatherhood in terms of like, how much I, I love what it has been for me versus obviously not wanting to present, um, you know, a view of the world that's like, yeah. And and the way forward is that all men should be fathers. Um, (laughs) and all women should be mothers. And like, that's just obvious because you, um, so it, it is, but, but it's one of those weird things where you kind of feel like you're, you're, um, uh, you're you're speaking in in the language of the other side a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's a it seems like a, it's a tricky thing to navigate. Um, mm. And I was curious about whether or not you had read any or or sort of been aware of any other books in this kind of genre before you you wrote the book with with George Bowring because. Um, you sort of mentioned at one point, like, oh, um, what could be worse than, or I think you're, you're quoting um, Jenny Disky. Jenny Disky, right. Yeah. Um, who is saying, oh, I, I can't believe I'm writing another cancer diary, but like, at least it's not another dad diary. And to totally. me, like, <laughs> without having much familiarity with, with that genre, I could see that being a site for um, for some some writers or some men to try to reclaim a lot of that stuff that you're talking about of like... Um, and, and performing all that kind of stuff that you're talking about in the ways that you're saying that you want to try and avoid, if that makes yeah. sense. I mean, it's, uh, so like one of the things that, um, like one of the things that you realize, uh, during, dur- over the course of pregnancy is like, um, is that we really haven't quite figured out how we, how to talk to people who are becoming parents, um, whether they're, um, whether they're, uh, pregnant themselves or whether their partners are pregnant, like the, the, but the advice that men are given or like these sort of cultural sort of forms of like, they're, they're really, um, piss poor. Mm-hmm. Um, men in particular, I found like just absolutely didn't know how to talk to me. Um, uh, like I was so bored. I was bored <laughs> by everything everybody said. Like they go, eh, better get some sleep now. And you know, all this, like just, just fucking boring, boring shit. Um, or then a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that's really kind of like, Hey, you're going to be a dad. Let's throw you really into this completely. A lot of it is like very 
upper middle class kind of urban, um, you know, these like ultra educated dads who like, like, you know, have the little baby carriers and, you know, master's degrees and, um, <laughs> like that I don't find particularly, um, attractive either. It's like that the, there's, the, but, um, so like there's the whole kind of like, um, the, the stuff that's not completely Neanderthal is like totally like yuppified. And then, and then there's the, just kind of like, you know, dumb dad, like, oh, I duct taped the baby's diaper cause I didn't know what else to do. Cause I'm a big dumb dad. And like that stuff is also just, so like, I think, uh, you know, the book with George was in some ways kind of a reaction to just like, to that, you know, to that dearth. And in some ways, again, like George is like, George is a little bit like my dad, you know, who, you know, he's, you know, he's raising his daughter at the beginning of the seventies and he's like, you know, he's, he's way ahead of the curve. Like me talking to George is not like talking to most like dads from the Okanagan in the early seventies. Like, Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, and I, I, I guess I kind of like, um, lost the trail a bit with that last little tangent. But, um, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, I, I, I definitely view the, the book as kind of like a, a critical response to, to the existing stuff, which is why we didn't feel too bad about it. Um, in terms of like contributing to this, like to this huge pile of existing stuff. And it's been funny seeing how many of the reviews, um, uh, the, the book has been, um, the book has been reviewed really, really nicely. And, but in, in almost in so many of these reviews, the review writer says, I kind of thought this was going to be a really stupid book (laughs) of what it is. And then instead it's this, and, you know, everybody said like, Oh, I, you know, we didn't need another book about, you know, um, dad, uh, uh, giving the baby, you know, um, you know, washing the baby with Mountain Dew or something like that. Like, (laughs) um, uh, and then, so, so many other reviews have kind of said like, Oh, it was so nice that this ended up being this other thing when I, when I thought it was going to be this. And, um, uh, you know, I think that definitely speaks to the kind of, uh, the, the, the dearth of, you know, sort of quality sort of conversation about, about fatherhood, um, uh, in books, on TV, in films. Um, we really don't kind of have, um, and, and in some ways, like in some ways I understand it. I, in some ways I understand the confusion because we are kind of in the middle of this like pretty big cultural shift. Mm-hmm. Which is to say that, um, you know, men 30 or 40 years ago really weren't expected to be all that involved in raising their children in North America. And um, today, like if you look at the – I mean the statistics I've seen, like it's, it's by no means um, equalized. But for instance – uh, you know, whereas statistically men still do, um, uh, much less like cleaning housework and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of like childcare hours is actually like really, um, uh, like it, it's dramatically, dramatically changed mm-hmm. from, um, and, and, you know, this is like, 
it's a, it's a major thing. Um, and that has all kinds of strange kind of cultural, um, uh, strange kind of cultural, um, upshots to that and, and side effects of that, you know, one is like, you know, we're all familiar with the, you know, the, 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 the complaint or the observation that like men are like totally disproportionately, um, culturally rewarded for like basic childcare stuff. And, and that is, and that is true. Um, uh, you know, at the same time, like, if a society is undergoing a major shift in its culture and its and its labor around something, the only two kind of tools that it really has are to shame those who who don't and you know reward those who do mm-hmm. um, enact the changes that they're that they're talking about. So it's um you know it's it's to me it's it's a it is a kind of time in flux where we don't quite know. I mean it's just I, I mean I think that would be one of the reasons why you know your podcast would be so compelling to people is because, you know, dads and and fathers, like we do feel really ambiguously about, um, about what they mean and, and, and what this moment in history kind of embodies about, about those roles. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it does, uh, certainly like talking to, to guests and, um, and sort of thinking about the ways that a lot of, the figures, like the the media figures that we have of fatherhood, um, have changed over the last few decades. Like there is this kind of sense of ambivalence, um, and um, and sort of uncertainty of like how to interact with this with this figure that used to be kind of a, an uncomplicated um, figure, and then we sort of uh, unpacked that a little bit and deconstructed it and and realized all the ways that it was not so great. And then now it's like, well, then how, what do we do with that? Right? Like, how do we how do we transform that? And I think people are sort of still um, in the midst of doing that. And it seems like you're doing a lot of that work in this book. And I'm, I'm curious about what it was like working with George um, in that respect of like talking across, because it's like a pretty big um, generational divide in yeah, some ways. Yeah, George is, George is 20 years older than my father. Right, right. Um, so like it's, it's a, it's a, like it's a massive age difference. Um, and, uh, um, the fact that George is, you know, incredibly juvenile by nature only, <laughs> only partly, um, bridges that, um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I should start by saying I've always felt more comfortable around um, older people, mm-hmm. um, and so um, it's not like it's it's not an odd thing or it's not a thing that I really think about. If I when, when I have like you know you know like George is my friend, he's in his eighties, but I don't. It's not always front of mind for me that he's in his eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, it it's. It was kind of, you know, I think there's all kinds of father relationships in the book. I think there's George being Thea's father. There's me being Josephine's father. There's my dad being my father. And, Mm -hmm. you know, over the course of the book, you know, it looks like, 
it looks like my dad is is dying um, over the first year of of uh, my daughter's life. I'm very happy to say that he he's he's in 100 percent remission now and actually is doing like uh, they're going to be taking him off his um, even his graft versus host medications. And, oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah. So like he's doing very well. And and uh, um, uh, uh, which is, you know, obviously wonderful. But when we're writing the letters, we don't know that that's. Yeah. Um, that that's what's going to happen. And, um, and then the other kind of, you know, father son relationship is, is between George and I, and he really is, um, uh, he really is kind of, um, guiding me through a lot of this stuff. And in some ways it's the people like George that, that we need to find, um, Mm. the people who were kind of, who were dads in a different way, before the deconstruction and attempted reconstruction of, of what it means to be a dad, because, um, for, and, and, and I feel very lucky to have, you know, my dad, who is a very unorthodox and non-conventional, um, father, um, as a, as a role model in, in my life and someone who I can talk to about parenthood, because I know like, you know, a lot of men who, they're like they're like first generation immigrants to a new world of masculinity you know like mm-hmm. they're the first people in their family that are trying to be dads in a way that doesn't just involve like hitting a kid when they do something wrong and giving them a dollar when they do something right and you know seeing them for 45 minutes a week um on saturday afternoon like um and and so working with George was kind of like having this the best of both worlds where you had this, you know, this old man very gently guiding you through generational rites of passage, but who wasn't weighed down with a lot of the a lot of the shit that has made um um that have made the fathers of old into these kind of like figures that we can't really relate to much anymore. Um, you know, I, I think of a, you know, one of my best friends is this guy who, you know, he grew up in a, in a tough part of the suburbs here in, um, outside of Vancouver. And, um, uh, his dad was just one of these guys who like just fucking smacked them if, if anything went wrong or like, um, he was, he was getting beat up, um, uh, by some kids from his school, like just down the block from their house. And the dad watched from the porch, um, while he was getting beat up. And then when, when my friend got home was like, why didn't you hit them with the, this or the, that, like, like was like criticizing their fighting technique on, um, um, had watched his son get the, get like shellacked by these kids from the school. Um, and then like, he now uh, lives with his with his partner. They live in another they live in another city. They're trying to like raise a child who's allowed to you know explore whatever kind of um, whatever interests them or you know who's who's being sort of reasoned with or spoken to is being like way more kind of. Um, uh, way more openly, you know, kind of loved and kissed and, you know, all, all of that stuff. But he's kind of doing it from scratch. Like he's got to sort of make it up as he goes along. Cause mm-hmm. he is doing this like 
tabula rasa, like absolutely new version of fatherhood. Um, uh, and, uh, so I feel lucky to have somebody like George in my life who is able to kind of still give me that, like, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, style, um, you know, guidance from, from under the sort of, uh, um, uh, cloak of, of, of elder wisdom, but also, you know, was even in 1971 acting as the kind of father that I want to be in, in, you know, 2014 when, um, when my daughter was born. Um, and, and, you know, he's also a father figure to me as a writer and, and, uh, you know, I think he's someone who, you know, in, in Canadian writing, in Canadian literature, like there's, to me, there's nobody who sort of combines high, high seriousness and high playfulness with the same mm-hmm. kind of, um, um, there, there are maybe some writers who've been funnier than, than George, but in terms of like just straight up playful, I think, um, I think he's pretty hard to beat. And so, you know, I look up to him as a, as a father, I look up to him as a writer. Um, um, our daughters met, um, uh, for the first time in, in December and, it was so weird that like we we started referring to them as book sisters because <laughs> it's like they just like Josephine just like knew that this was like she was hanging off of Thea for the whole night and like just you know was immediately just like completely comfortable with her was um uh was playing with her and then and then when we left um george's house you know on our way to the you know as i was putting her into her car seat she was like i miss thea Mm -hmm. um they like they completely uh um they completely connected thea is like a super cool person and um and a writer in her in her own right and uh you know so i think for me i can i get to see like what George's, you know, parenting advice kind of looks like mm-hmm. down the line as, as a, as a, as an actualized kind of, um, uh, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say fully formed human <laughs> being, but like someone further along the road to, uh, full formation. And, uh, you know, he, he knows what he's doing, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one thing that makes the book so successful is that, um, it, it isn't just sort of this moment in time. It is reaching back historically um, and and looking forward at the same time. And to me, that is this really powerful antidote to the kind of um, the sort of writing about dads or the dad diary kind of format that is is just sort of like here in the now and not really sure what to do or is reaching back to these sort of um, half-imagined ideas of, of what things were like um, and not really concretizing it, not really situating it and like not really having a George Bowering around, you know? And the I, I, I agree absolutely. And, he, you know, one of the things that is was so great for the book was that George had these um, journals that he keeps. Mm. And so, you know, you have... The, the, there's really, there's three figures in the letters of terms of like, there's me in real time, as a as a you know thirty three to thirty four year old man, uh, there's George in real time as like a seventy nine to eighty year old man um, uh, in terms of writing the letters. But there's also George as the forty one year old father in his diaries and journals, and he's working from these like basically almost like primary source 
materials from, you know, the journals he was keeping when Thea was a baby. And so you have, you have his voice in that time as well. And that was one of the things that, you know, and maybe this kind of brings us full circle to the thing about hope and political engagement. You know, you think about, um, you know, one of the things that George and I talk about very early on is the hope that, um, that they had when Thea was born, that basically she was going to be born into a world that was rid of all the problems that they had spent their lives fighting, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the they they were you know the 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 Vietnam War was was ending and uh, you know feminism and and um, uh, uh, decolonization movements and anti racist movements and uh, were kind of you know had spent you know ten years on the on the upswing and um, you know the the economy had been hammered into something quite a bit more sort of, uh, equal. And it seemed that the trajectory was that things were, you know, they had no idea that they were a few years off of this, like, you know, tragic resurgence of the right culturally, Mm -hmm. economically, whatever. Um, but the, the flip side of that is that George was born in 1935 and, you know, George is born, he's two years old uh, um, I, or George is born, Hitler's been in power for two years. We're at the height of the great depression. Um, he's, he's, uh, four years old. So a year older than my daughter is when, when world war two starts, like, um, you would have every reason to think that, you know, what have I done? Like if you were George's parents, what have I brought my child into? Um, and, um, as we know now in retrospect, uh, you know, somebody born the year George Bowering was saw the kind of the greatest advances of kind of, um, working to sort of equalize and democratize the world that, that have ever been made in the, in the history of humanity, the, the, the broad decolonization of the, um, of the global South, the, the rise of, um, of labor, the, like, I mean, you know, working the, the, the working class, these, um, massive leaps in sort of, um, in, uh, civil rights and voting rights and, and all this kind of stuff that we now sort of, you know, take for granted and that no one ever in the, in the nightmare of the first years of George's life would have thought it was reasonable to, expect of the world. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that, you know, just (laughs) in the same kind of perverse way that like things looked like they were going to be great for Thea. And instead we ended up going into this kind of hellish, um, um, you know, free market, um, Hobbesian war of all against all, um, uh, in the same way, you know, things looked really bleak when, when George's life was beginning and he saw some pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And I have the same kind of hope for, for my daughter that, um, you know, just because, I mean, my hope is that, 
the the idea of a of a president trump or a, or a pipeline running through um uh to the uh being doubled out to the to the to the waters right by our house or or whatever like my hope is that all of those things will be distant kind of half remembered um fringes you know before the before the things uh, got righted and and started moving uh moving in a in a better direction um you know and that's the only thing you can really kind of hold to yeah yeah i mean <laughs> that's i think uh again like that historical context and that contrast um is is so striking and and so important and um yeah, like you say, coming back full circle. Maybe that's a good place to end on. Well, um, thank you, uh, thank you so much for um, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's like you don't always get to uh, you don't always get to talk about um, fatherhood in these kind of like uh, um, thoroughgoing ways, and and uh, <laughs> it's it's a, it was a real pleasure for me to get to write it, and it's it's always nice to get to have um, these kinds of conversations with really smart and wonderful people, and I, I appreciate it. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you on, and I'm always happy to give you a place to talk about fatherhood and or um, complex leftist politics. So you always <laughs> got a home here. Um, Thank and, you so much. Uh, yeah, so again, the book is The Dad Dialogues, published by Arsenal Pulp. Um, is it available in the States as well at this point? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, um, it should be. I think it is. Yes. Great. And, um, and where can people find you online? Um, they can uh, find me on Twitter at, at Charlie Demers. And uh, I think that's probably the only place they can find me. Um, <laughs> uh, there are some Google images of mm -hmm. varying degrees of flattery. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, at Charlie Demers um, on Twitter is probably the best place. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks again. And I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks, Matt. You too. Bye, kiddos. Dad Feelings is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Dad Feelings is a part of Stay Me, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Me at dadfeelings.com support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz off their album Foil Deer. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuy for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter we're at Dad Feelings and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.